I wake up, I'm grateful for the opportunities that were given to me. And uh, yeah, I feel obliged to do something back. So this drive and this high energy I have, of, I want to, you know, bring dignity to my community. You have to understand the shame and humiliation you go through growing up as a refugee because you lost your country, you lost your dignity, you lost all of your social standing and your social capital. So I think this shame and humiliation, that's also drives me to work hard and outwork, outcompete, outstrategize other people. That's why I think I can make it as an entrepreneur. So that's the story why <laughs> I'm doing so many things, but also because of the frustration, because of my own needs. So you don't have people from my descent working in a startup scene or at least I don't encounter them. And because of that, you feel, okay, maybe I need to also get access to funding, you know? So, so it's all out of my own frustration needs and I end up doing so many different things. But I'm telling myself, even if I fail, I can be a pioneer and I can open doors for other people from refugee descent or from migrant descent to just bringing representation in this technology scene. For me, that's very important. And also advocating for the cause of my people, you know? I don't want to forget where I come from and how lucky I have been. Hello everyone, my name is Dean Long and welcome to the podcast Lifeline. In this podcast, I will interview people who are having a positive impact in their community and have a strong message that deserves to be shared. We will dive deeper into their journey becoming a change maker and hopefully you can take away some insights for your own journey. In today's episode, you'll be meeting Yama, a Dutch-Afghan change maker who's doing so many things from creating his own social startup to lecturing at university launching an inclusive investment fund, and much more. Yama will share with us how all his different experiences ultimately connected toward his life purpose, which is to bring more diversity into the French startup ecosystem and to contribute to the development of Afghanistan. Hello, Yama. Hey, Din. Super nice to have you today. Thank um, you for having me. And yeah, you have one of the most amazing stories that I've heard in Paris. I don't know and about that. <laughs> <laughs> and you had so many lives. So I think yeah, the easiest way is if you can introduce a bit yourself, where you come from and what you are doing right now. Okay, thank you for having me. Such an honor. My name is Yama Saraj. I'm 34 years old. Um, I was born in Kabul, Afghanistan. And uh, yeah, we became refugees. So that's actually also marking my story. So uh, at a young age, we came to the Netherlands. We find a safe refuge. We've been welcomed very well. So I grew up in the Netherlands during my teenage years. I was studying engineering, and after three years, I uh, dropped out. I found more interest in international affairs and uh, economic affairs, economic development, and I longed going back to my roots. So I shifted to economics. I did degree undergrads in economics. And then I work a little bit in development assistance in uh, Kosovo, in uh, Democratic Republic of Congo, in Kinshasa, I was half year. And I spent half year in Afghanistan. And I came back. Uh, I was a little bit disappointed in development assistance. And I came back to the city where I grew up, in Eindhoven, which is in the south of the Netherlands. And it's amazing high-tech and manufacturing thing. And um, yeah, I wanted to get involved in uh, product development, innovation, and I wanted to use entrepreneurship for uh, social mobility of uh, people from migrant descent, such as myself, but also with uh, 
idea of bringing this amazing technology and innovation to emerging countries, and specifically my country of origin, Afghanistan. So in a nutshell, that's uh, my story. And uh, now I'm based in Paris. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm lecturing in R&D at an MBA school. And uh, yeah, trying to set up our own funds, uh, venture capital funds. So yeah, doing a lot of different things. <laughs> cool, cool. So yeah, you're engineer, economics, development, Paris, lecturer, and you're also setting a fund, entrepreneur. Cool. So I think we'll, we'll try to get back to everything you said. Uh, especially your link with Afghanistan. But uh, yeah, so today we are meeting in Paris. I, I just want to ask you, what, what brings you to Paris? Um, well, uh, one and a half years ago, I was doing some volunteering work for an NGO called TechFugees, and they had a conference in Paris at SNF, and I was invited. And I came to Paris, and I was very impressed by this massive building. This is the French flagship innovation center, And uh, somehow I talked to the right people and I got a, a fellowship for my startup. So one year they support my startup. So they told me to drop everything, come back, come to Paris. And I got the opportunity to get to know the French tech innovation ecosystem. And that's the story how I got to Paris. And can you share a bit more about the startup that brought you to Paris? So the startup I'm working on is called Sensei and uh, it's funny how it started. Actually, it started 10 years ago. I did uh, During my studies period in the Netherlands, I picked up boxing. I was uh, really liked uh, martial arts uh, because I was always, as a kid, uh, lots of uh, trouble. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I can imagine you come from migrant descent and you feel a little bit insecure. And martial arts really helped me to become a better person. So I picked up boxing. And one day I decided to go back to Afghanistan. And uh, with some friends, we decided to just make a road trip <laughs> from Netherlands to Afghanistan. I wanted to connect with my roots and do some development assistance for my family. I drove all the way to Afghanistan and I stayed half year there and I started giving kids boxing lessons in the village where my father's from. And that really touched me. I realized uh, we can use sports and the healing uh, and connecting power of sports to use it for development. And um, fast forward, I was in Eindhoven, there was some hackathon. I realized, hey, why don't I make a smart punching bag from recycled material such as car tires which is ubiquitous available everywhere and I can actually connect with my cousins in Afghanistan I can maybe train them on distance so it started as a geeky project I wanted to make a punching bag from car tires to train my nephews and cousins in Afghanistan and uh, soon realized oh it's quite a complex project that involves electronics mechanics and uh, software So that's how I uh, started <laughs> my mission to mobilize resources, to get access to software talent, to get access to funding, and uh, learn how to valorize some technical idea, bring it to market. So that's how the trouble started. And we are on a mission to bring mental and physical resilience training accessible and affordable for everybody, and leveraging on these emerging technologies, which I believe should be available for everybody, not only the few lucky few. And I'm uh, leveraging on, on, on martial arts and sports psychology, to, especially for youngsters, especially in this war-torn societies such as Afghanistan or Syria. People are, are confronted with conflict and violence. And actually, ironically, use martial arts to go towards a society with less violence and less competition. So that's what they're working on. So you arrived in Paris, willing to. So you you got into this fellowship of Station F for your startup Sensei, one and a half years ago, 
And yeah, how, how did it go back then? What was the situation of Sensei when you arrived? And how did it... Because you, you don't speak French, right? So I wonder, how was it when you arrived? You don't speak French, you have your startup, you've done all these things before. So how is your French adventure so far? So it was obviously not easy because you come into a new society, you don't speak the language, you don't understand the culture. Well, I think I was a little bit impressed by the building. It's a massive building. There are literally thousands of startups in one building. It's a project by Xavier Niel, it's a French billionaire. And uh, yeah, they give a fellowship for startups from underrepresented communities. They call it the Fighters Program. And I got into this program, and um, yeah, so I think Station F is an amazing project. Uh, it's, it's really an ambitious project to make France a tech nation, startup nation, as President Macron calls it. So I came here um, with, yeah, maybe different expectations. Um, the project I wanted to work was still in the early stage, conceptual, so it's an internet of things, IoT, hardware. Um, obviously, the language was and still is a little bit barrier and also the cultural uh, culture shock which I'm also experiencing is also a barrier uh, nevertheless I think uh, Paris uh, is an amazing city it's so much art and so much ideas you have so much different people and, and a cosmopolitan city and you have here um, institutions such as UNESCO and you have here uh, School 42 which I got access to uh, so it's been for me not easy but same time it uh, gives me some perspective obviously it was challenging because uh, yeah you don't know anybody in the society you don't speak the language you have no social capital so it was not easy but nevertheless yeah we came to netherlands as a refugees and and so you learn to adapt fast to the new environment you learn to adapt make friends and and show interest in the local culture and try to learn the language and exchange right i come here as a knowledge worker now <laughs> so i'm well, in a way not a refugee anymore uh, an expat so kind of that also empowers me so i started giving free boxing lessons to start uppers and uh, to make friends to understand uh, the local culture and exchange right i'm really really hands-on i'm really hungry and i'm really uh, want to create value i'm not asking for any handout but uh, being present at station f was an amazing opportunity it, 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 it helps you with credibility so when you tell people I'm from Station F, so immediately they think, wow, this guy must be smart. <laughs> so that was a really, really nice experience. Uh, but uh, yeah, I did experience some uh, cultural shock. And uh, so in the Netherlands, we were very straightforward. But here in France, they, they think these people are a bit uh, rude or too direct. So after a while, you, you understand, okay, I need to adapt uh, how I'm interacting with people and, and learn a little bit more French ways of doing things. And um, Yeah, so <laughs> yeah. rough ride, but I'm still not there. I'm, I'm trying to uh, connect with the French structures. I'm taking language courses, but it was an amazing experience for me. And uh, Station F, I think I was second day there. I talked to a venture capitalist. It was the first venture VC ever. <laughs> Thanks to that, I got a little bit into the venture capital network, and I realized how investments are done and how startups raise funds. And of course, you meet a lot of 
young, hungry startuppers who are developing cool technology but are learning how to bring it to the market, build a company. So it was an amazing experience. There's a lot of noise, a lot of people. So one year I was staying at Station F. It was like, you know, lots of interaction, lots of networking. So it's amazing. I'm really happy about it. It's nice to see that you managed to navigate the ecosystem even though you arrive and you don't know anyone. But now you're super connected in Paris. So it's great to see. And yeah, you mentioned that you were lecturer, that you were launching a VC fund. But when you arrived in Paris, you were just coming with Sensei. But now you have all these projects. How did all of this happen? Um, yeah, many people ask me, like, wow, how come you have so much energy, so strong drive? Uh, but people don't understand. We, we come from a refugee descent. You always have this this almost this kind of survival guilt. You know, I was one of the very few lucky ones from Afghanistan at the early age we could get away from uh, war and prosecution so i grew up in in safe environment and in, in this amazing technology driven city eindhoven which is a very nice scene to learn about innovation so i always feel this kind of survival guilt almost like you know i feel the strong obligation almost to do something back for society that has accepted us but also not forget about my my roots my family um So in 2010 it was, I graduated in economics and I thought I want to go see Afghanistan because it was all over the news. And I went there to Afghanistan and made a very nice road trip and I stayed half a year in Afghanistan in the village where my father is from. And this event really inspired me so much. I realized, wow, I'm so lucky guy, right? I, I grew up in Netherlands and I have access to so much technology and yeah, I, 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 I should do something useful with this, right? Um, uh, so, so, so because of this, because of being in between rich and poor, between this, you have to imagine I come from one of the poorest countries in the world. We have 42 years of nonstop conflict. And my community, we're ethnically Uzbek people from Afghanistan. We've been marginalized. So I come from this region and I grow up in Eindhoven, the Netherlands, among the most sophisticated and high-tech manufacturing scene by far in the Netherlands and also in, in Europe. So, so seeing this contrast always made me feel a little bit privileged. So that's also where I got my energy and drive from. Every day I wake up, I'm grateful for the opportunities that were given to me. And uh, yeah, I feel obliged to do something back. So this drive and this high energy I have, of I want to you know, bring dignity to my community. You have to understand the shame and humiliation you go through growing up as a refugee. Because you lost your country, you lost your dignity, you lost all of your social standing and your social capital. So I think this shame and humiliation, that's also drives me to work hard and outwork, outcompete, outstrategize other people. That's why I think I can make it as an entrepreneur. So that's the story why <laughs> I'm doing so many things, but also because of the frustration, because of my own needs. So you don't have people from my descent working in a startup scene or at least I don't encounter them. And because of that, you feel, okay, maybe I need to also get access to funding, you know? So, so it's all out of my own frustration needs and I end up doing so many different things. But I'm telling myself, even if I fail, 
I can be a pioneer and I can open doors for other people from refugee descent or from migrant descent to just bringing representation in this technology scene. For me, that's very important. And also advocating for the cause of my people, you know. I don't want to forget where I come from and how lucky I have been. And did you always want to work with Afghanistan? I mean, did you always have this awareness on, okay, I'm so lucky to be in the Netherlands, I want to give back and help like other refugees or migrants come back to Afghanistan? Or is it something you discovered one day? Um, well, it's also a gradual process, I, I guess, of becoming aware. From my 11, 12 years, we came to Netherlands. Um, my mom was in Afghanistan. I was a professor in veterinary. She had some ties in the Netherlands. Her students came to the Netherlands, and they said, come to Netherlands, a safe place for families to grow up, and it's a good environment. We were granted political asylum status, which we are always grateful. Um, I grew up in a small village in the south of Netherlands, and... Of course, you realize, okay, I'm different, and you need to adapt to the local culture, local language, learn the language. So it has not been easy, but exactly because of this process, you realize, okay, uh, I'm different, and also studying engineering, I was doing internship, and I also realized, okay, people are, you know, very curious about my background, why I look so different. <laughs> so, so you become very aware that you're different, and you question yourself, who am I? Where do I belong? And why am I? a refugee so these questions keep bothering me and that's how I realized okay maybe I want to study something with economics and international affairs so that was also a gradual process of self-realization yeah because you were speaking about shame and humiliation and yeah I wonder like when did you start celebrating your difference or being proud of your difference Mm, exactly. No, I think it was early in, the, in my high school period, in uh, history lessons, you know, there's always, of course, it's a, it's a bias towards only Eurocentric worldview. So then you always question like, wow, these Western people, they're so smart, they invented uh, human rights and mathematics and philosophy. So you question like, hey, what about my people? Did we do something? And <laughs> do we have any place in history places? And uh, yeah, I was like, I think 14, 15 years old, you become impressed and you think, wow, you realize, yeah, maybe there's a reason why we became refugees. Is this is, uh, uh, so you kind of get an almost an inferiority complex, but exactly because of this, and I asked questions, my mom, so she was a daughter of a governor, she was a professor, she told me, we have own history, we contribute a lot to science, literature, philosophy, maybe you should also pay attention to your old culture and history. So I think it that's also realized, okay, maybe our history books are a little bit biased. Maybe I should also look for my own roots and world affairs and world history and what's the You know, and also maybe in the aftermath of 911, there is this notion of as if the West is in war with the East or, or, or you know, with the Muslim civilization. So, of course, it affects you. Of course, people ask you stupid questions like, hey, where do you stand in this discussion? I don't know, man. I grew up in the Netherlands and I have no <laughs> nothing to do with these extremists. We, we flee for these people. But nevertheless, it does bother you. You question yourself like, okay, how do I relate to this? Do I have to choose between the East or the West. So it has been a long search, a self-realization, and that's why I really wanted to work in development assistance and in, in developing countries, and I really, really, really take extreme ownership, and I went to work in Kosovo and understand the dynamics, what happened in these countries. 
I went to work for a nice project in Congo. It was about art and culture for uh, for socioeconomic development. It was very amazing. And all these events that helped me to get answers for my own needs uh, of understanding why are we refugees? Why did we flee? So, of course, it's very complicated. It's like a Cold War, ideologies, conflict, interest politics. That's why I want to stay away from politics. I want to be just busy with inventing things, making cool stuff, using technology for good. This is the only thing I have control over, yeah, right? You cannot control these world affairs. Is it something you realized while you were working in the development sector? Y yeah, of course. You have to understand development aid. Yeah, you can question the motives behind development aid. And if you look at the history of it, of course there's some kind of paternalism in development aid. And of course there's some kind of conditionality, right? So we, the rich West, we're going to give you aid if you do, do this and this and this. Well, these policies might be starting with a very good intention. On a local operation on the field, it might have very negative externalities. I've seen this in, with my own eyes in Afghanistan. I think it was 2010 when I went there. You have to imagine Kabul, Afghanistan, one of the poorest countries in the world. I think due to the influx of so much development aid, a certain point, the land price in Kabul was higher than New York, Manhattan. Can you imagine? This is like bullshit, right? Like, what the hell is this? You know. So I realized, oh, there is something wrong with development aid, and it, it creates wrong incentives. And everybody's rent seeking. You know, there's a process called rent seeking. Rather than doing productive projects that make sense, people are just looking for some donor aid to do some advocacy, which just doesn't make locally sense. And these development agencies are also competing with each other. There's a lack of alignment. So there's institutions, incentives, lots of complicated things. Yeah. And I realized in the end, what can I do? You know, what can I do? That's why I realized, okay, maybe the simplest things I can do is just become an entrepreneur and try to connect Afghanistan products to Western markets and try to develop some projects that really make sense. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's complicated. It's not so straightforward black and white, yeah. right? So the first time you came back to Afghanistan... How did you feel? Did you have like any expectations? Or how was it? Six, six months there, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, it was in 2010 and uh, with my friend Sihar, a brilliant engineer, and Jacqueline. She's been working with a development aid for the Netherlands. And Jacqueline, she adopted Sihar as my friend. And uh, yeah, we decided to go on a road trip and along the Silk Road. And we gathered some staff to do some development assistance back home. So it was an amazing journey driving all the way along the Silk Road. It's like almost as if you're going back in time. So of course, I grew up in safe Netherlands. And going back to Afghanistan, of course, was a culture shock, right? Yeah, people are so much tougher and so much, yeah, almost like, you know, like rough, you know. But it was very emotional. I wanted to connect with my roots and understand the root causes of conflict. Why are we in this state, right? We're like in this 42 years of war, like 10 million people from Afghanistan flee their country of origin. Uh, why is there war? I wanted to get answers. The reality is very complicated. This is Afghanistan is, is a very, very complicated mess. You know, it's a lots of interest intervene in there and um, it's a very complicated thing. 
While you were there, you started organizations there, right? Yeah, I wanted to go see my family and make myself useful, and it was quite emotional. But there I realized, wow, how lucky I am, and then I realized, yeah, I have a mission. I want to mobilize this higher educated Afghan diaspora like myself, who grow up in their vest, who are engineers or doctors, mobilize them to be connected with their country of origin and build markets, build bridges between the societies they live and their country of origin. So we started a, a, a non-profit called Young Social Entrepreneurs for Afghanistan. Yeah, we want to promote the idea of social entrepreneurship with a mission of uh, mobilizing our diaspora to social business in Afghanistan and in a meaningful way rather than only giving aid or free money. I realized we need to help our country of origin to connect with the global market. So we set up this organization. I know you've been very active trying to connect with Afghan diaspora in Paris, as well in Eindhoven, Amsterdam, a bit everywhere. Can you share with me like some projects you have? So you have to understand our diaspora. We are also very much fragmented along ethnic, religious, ideological, cultural and linguistic lines. So Afghanistan society is very complicated. Nevertheless, uh, we want to focus on professionals, people who have a passion for their uh, profession, like engineers or doctors, and facilitate them to do something back home. But of course, the security situation in Afghanistan is an issue, and also Afghanistan is very far, and also we are young diaspora, we need to integrate in these whole societies, we need to climb the social ladder and make our way. And you also feel there's a lack of support from the government in Afghanistan. It's also corrupt is a big issue so yeah security is obviously an issue so you kind of get a little bit disappointed in there that's why I think I realized uh Uh, and focusing in Netherlands or in France and helping to improve the socio-economic position of this Afghan diaspora. So we realized, okay, Afghanistan is not going to be safe anytime soon. So we need to stay here. We need to integrate. We need to participate in society and study and, and, and make the social mobility here. And once we are settled here, we can make ourselves useful for our country of origin. At the same time, it's important to maintain our ties and um, not forget our roots. Of course, it's a very complicated situation because Afghanistan is like we faced 42 years of war. So we're a little bit, people lose hope. We, people lose hope and after so much conflict, you just don't want to be bothered with Afghanistan. You just want to go. <laughs> and, and, and so that's also a sad reality. And nevertheless, uh, people like myself, they question their own identity and their own belonging and they question um, their, their heritage, right? Obviously, we are propagating to integrate and be participating in social life in France or in Netherlands. And I think uh, this is also uh, Afghan diaspora, especially in Netherlands, I can say we made quite amazing social mobility. You have many doctors, engineers from Afghan descent. So I'm very happy about this. And so Afghanistan is a very complicated long 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 term process yeah cool and like when you are in paris i mean right now like did you manage to meet a lot of people or partners or organizations that want to contribute to your vision Well, well, of course, I think compared to where I was from, from Eindhoven, it's like very small city and, and international relationships or, yeah, this is not really cup of tea of the city, right? So the, it's a little bit challenging finding the right partners. But in Paris, it's amazing. It's like such an international city and, of course, undoubtedly a political capital in Europe. 
And so, yeah, I found very interesting partners, uh, associations, French NGOs who are doing great stuff in Afghanistan. And I meet also very interesting entrepreneurs who are leveraging on technology for good for in Africa. So we can use their experiences. We can learn from them. You know, you don't need to, as a social entrepreneur, as an entrepreneur, you don't want to reinvent the wheel. You want to get access to best practices. And yeah, find, uh, find meaningful relationships. But I also realized to focus on myself, to make it, to break through as an entrepreneur. Once you're in a stable situation, you have some resources then you can help other people that's also a wise lesson I learned and who is one person you managed to meet in the French ecosystem that you are the most proud of meeting because like maybe it was the most difficult one to reach or um, you had to struggle a lot yeah I think uh, Xavier Niel is an amazing guy right he's like uh, uh, set up station F and thanks to his patronage I came to Paris in the first place yeah I, I shook hands with him I saw him at the station F he was just explaining uh to someone and, and I just uh, without any shame I just walked to him and I said hey hello Mr. Niels thank you very much for this fighters fellowship you give me it was a really life changing um, and actually he was very curious and he was uh, asking me what I'm doing and he gave me his email and he asked me to send him uh, my pitch deck to him and he's been very useful very very helpful I'm really happy about meeting him but yeah being at Station F it was really amazing it really opened a lot of doors for me I leveraged on this presence at Station F to work as a professor at this MBA school and I leverage on my presence at Station F to open other doors. I get a little bit access to venture capital before it was a little bit Yeah, I didn't know anything about VC. It seems almost mythical, <laughs> VC. So, um, yeah, I, I leveraged on this very well. And Xavier Niel is a very inspirational guy. I, uh, <laughs> how, but how did you manage to meet all the people you wanted to meet? Yeah, you know, when you are when you are hungry, when you are um, dedicated, when you want something, you are constantly looking for opportunities rather than finding excuses why something will not work or why something should not work. And I think also, you know, due to my generalist background, I have some engineering background, I have economics background. I will work a little bit in international development assistance and. Yeah, I come from a multi-ethnic society from Afghanistan. So you learn to be very adaptable and you can relate very easily to people. Uh, um, so, so because of that, I'm very curious and I'm very energetic. I will like, you know, uh, you, so, so that's why I think maybe the reason I just, you know, you should... Uh, Yeah, how do I... I don't know how to answer that. I think maybe it's also... You have, you're, you're, you know, you're willing to share, you're curious, you want to connect with people because you want to learn. You have to have obviously... Uh, you have the humility and have to, you know, also pay forward, you know, like uh, I think uh, people ask me what's the best practice for networking. I think it's to be very open-minded and very much willing to give rather than take, right? So great networkers are people who are willing to give and share and pay forward. That's, I think, uh, what I'm really, uh, this attitude and mindset, like, okay, I'm always interested in what drives people, what are they looking for, what's their problem, how can I solve their problem. And in this way, I think you can get ahead, you know, pay forward, help people. And that's, I think, the trick. You need to solve people's problems and be humble. 
you have to have a genuine curiosity like, okay, I'm always curious, why are people doing the things they are doing, right? And how can I relate with them? How can I, you know, it definitely helps if you speak multiple languages, you have like wide access to different cultures, you know, so, so you're mentally, you're more agile, right? And some people who never travel, some people who never go see, meet other people, of course, they have trouble with connecting with, uh, with people, right? So, so in a way, in a crazy way, my refugee-ness also helped me to be a better entrepreneur because you're way more adaptable, you're more risk-taking, and you're more innovative, you're more curious. So in a, in a way, I do think migrants or refugees do make uh, great entrepreneurs. If you look at Silicon Valley, a lot of great entrepreneurs are, are from migrant descent. In Europe, we need to make a little bit more work on, on that, I guess. What do you think is missing in Europe for migrants entrepreneurs? Uh, I'm, I'm a very proud European. I think Europe is a great place, uh, after all. Last uh, October, I was in Shenzhen in China, and I uh, feel very good to be back in Europe, and I really appreciate the liberties we have. Yeah, I think Europe, we care about privacy, about human rights. I think we have great values. I'm really, really happy about, uh, yeah, considering myself European in, in, in terms of identity construction, I realized... Okay, I have a great Dutch education, um, now I'm living in Paris, and uh, I consider myself a European. Uh, but nevertheless, for entrepreneurship, I think, yeah, Europe is a little bit of a decaying empire. It's, it's, it is a little bit, you know, like, like, like the old lady. <laughs> yeah, so I think in terms of entrepreneurship, if you see what's happening in China, or if you read about what's happening in Silicon Valley, I think the, the, the entrepreneurial energy and, and, and dynamism, that's what we need in Europe. Um, maybe we, we don't believe anymore in, in ourselves. So I think we need strong entrepreneurs, we, we need leaders, we need role models, right? Uh, I think, as I mentioned, Xavier Niel, what he's doing in France, I think is an example. I think we do have these amazing entrepreneurs here. Um, so it's also important to change the narrative and look at what things are going well and rather than focus on what things are not going well. Um, so yeah, we have some issues in Europe, this polarization, rising polarization, Islamophobia, xenophobia. We do have to tackle those issues, but I want to be an optimist and, and look at the great things we can do rather than focus on what's going wrong. Was, was bad. Yeah. yeah, I hope you can become a role model for friends. <laughs> But um, yeah, no, I wanted to come back on like how you started uh, because you, you, yeah, you, you shared with me that it was not always easy. Rather, it was more difficult when you started your, your life in Paris and especially since, I mean, ever since you started to become entrepreneur because before, you know, I mean, you graduated from business school, you could have, you know, went into consulting or investment banking or whatever. Uh, you even started in the development world. Mm -hmm. Do you ever think to... I mean, I'm sure I know, I know the answer already, but do you ever think like to give up and go back to, into a more like easy life i mean comfortable yeah, life yeah of or? course of course i did a great uh, business school in the netherlands and in, in uh, tilburg university i graduated in strategic management finally um of course many of my friends they are now into banking or become consultant with kpmg or uh, mckinsey or whatever but for me it was always about bringing dignity for my community i always wanted to fight for my community for for human rights in afghanistan and i always felt very privileged that I had access to great stuff in Netherlands so I always wanted to you know do something back home um 
So of course, it might have been easier if I go work for a consultancy or have a, have a nice life, but I always thought maybe I will get stuck and I will lose my passion for social justice or for social entrepreneurship or, or doing something. But that has been always for me plan B, C and D. I always can do that, you know? I mean, uh, for me, it was always a matter of honor, right? We come from Afghanistan and we are very proud people and uh, want to fight for, 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 for the underdog, right? Do, 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 do the hard things and, and yeah, you, it's, it's, it's not rational. You're right, it's not rational. Maybe it was for, for me very much, very much easier to work in a corporate and have an easier life and save up money and then go investing or whatever. But I also interested in to understanding about poverty elevation. So I did a degree in economics and my professors, they were always talking about poverty elevation, but I kind of wonder how these people from the ivory tower talk about the problems of people in the bottom of pyramid, as they say. How can you relate to that if you've never been in this situation? So that's why I was, I'm also interested in starting literally at the bottom, right? You know, without any shame, you know, like starting at the bottom, I work my way up. And in this way, you can also relate to the problems of people who are poor or don't have this. And, and so for me, this has been a great experience, you know, starting literally at the bottom and, and making the social mobility myself then I can say I did it myself you know I'm, 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 I know what I'm talking about um, yeah so so, uh, so the easy way of you know that, that, that's, that's, that's not an option I, I don't know somehow maybe um, choosing the, the complicated way but for me it went the way it went you know and maybe it's also a lack of having role models so if you don't have role models be a role model so in a way I think I was also looking for my way and uh, maybe I didn't have the role models around me I, I grew up without a father figure um, so, so I, I think I kind of you know <laughs> uh, looked around and, and, and still figuring out uh, uh, my way realized there's also no shame in that you know everybody has their own path and it doesn't make sense to compare with others or question like oh what if you know <laughs> there's no what if and um, it's a great quote from uh, Steve Jobs he's saying connect the dots backwards right so in a way the things I did it's working in development assistance and uh, all the things I did and, and somehow it comes back and it helps me in the things I'm doing now right so you're setting about a VC fund I'm uh, setting up my startup project and, and I'm lecturing um, yeah I somehow I've like too much energy it seems and, and maybe it's also the frustration and and, and uh, and then I managed to channelize it in my own crazy way. <laughs> it doesn't make sense for a lot of people, um, but it, it makes me happy. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm doing what I think I should do. And then how do you link your VC fund with your vision as well? You have to understand with, with my own startup, uh, so I want to do, do this punching back and a new sport for development. And so it's very much in tech for good and social entrepreneurship and circuit economy. Uh, yeah, a lot of, you know, you, you go pitch to investors. Um, I did kind of get sometimes this kind of condescending remarks or kind of, you know, like people have low expectation patterns of people like myself who come from migrant descent and not in a, in a people don't have necessarily ill intentions just something called cognitive bias right people they don't see people like me succeeding as entrepreneurs so they per definition think it's not possible 
Um, so there's a lack of representation in the VC scene, but also in the startup scene. So we definitely need to uh, make efforts to bring more diversity in this scene. It's not from only a social justice way of argument, but also from an economic point of view. I think having a more diversity can lead to better outcomes, better innovation outcomes. Uh, so in a way, I think... Uh, we, we need to have investors who come from different ethnic backgrounds. And I think uh, the numbers speak for themselves. In 2019 in Europe, from all the investments, maybe 1%, less than 1% were, were women founders. 0.5% were people who identify as ethnically from Middle East or Asian descent. So, so the VC world is a very exclusive world. And I think... Uh, we try to set up a fund to help people from migrant descent, people who are underrepresented. Um, yeah, it actually also comes from my own needs and from our own frustrations, right? So, so people invest in people who they kind of identify with, right? This is in organization science, there's this term called homophily. homophily. So people kind of like subconsciously people they kind of identify they kind of know through their networks from the business schools or wherever uh, so this is on the longer term this is going to cause problem it's a kind of a incest right the people can invest in the people they only can relate to and because of this we miss out on great opportunities right um, so i think uh, that's that's why we are setting up this vc fund um, how did you Start the VC. I mean, what is the process of setting up a VC fund, and how? <laughs> who, who is your team? Like, I mean, it's great to know the why you do it because you've been affected by this issue. And yeah, now I'm wondering like how. Because I have no. How, how do you set up a VC fund? Yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, you know, someone like uh, people from refugee descent or migrant descent, it's just impossible to get access to this kind of uh, VCs or uh, investors. Um, I was very lucky. I was at Station F, and the second day I said I was talking to this VC, and his name is uh, Stephen Miller from Notion VC, and he was genuinely interested in uh, doing something for diversity, and, and, and he was asking me questions. And at first I was like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to be uh, tokenized. I don't know. Is this guy really genuine about this? Uh, but, uh, yeah, they were really serious about this. They set up the this initiative called Included VC is, is, is a fellowship and um, they select uh, for uh, people who want to become a VC and uh, somehow he asked me to apply and I did and there was a blindfold application and they select 30 fellows and one year we've been talking about this uh, VC industry, about diversity and, and getting master classes, getting uh, um, assignments and, and a really, really cool um, uh, fellowship. It's called Included VC. And uh, with some of these fellows, we realized, okay, then you read about diversity and there's this term called cognitive bias and you look actually at the facts uh, how skewed this 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 investments, venture capital investments are done, you know, how, how unfair or unequal. Um, so we realized, why don't we pioneer? Why don't we set up a VC for tech for good for people from diverse backgrounds? Uh, doing good, actually. So so people like ourselves, right? People like ourselves. Um, so it's still in the early stage. I don't want to <laughs> say too much about this. Uh, but it's a very, very, very audacious mission. I hope we succeed. And we definitely need your support in this endeavor. 
Yeah, I'll try to support my best. I will interview you again when you launch the fund. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like um, I'm wondering how, because you're doing so many things at the same time. Do you manage to progress at the rhythm that you want? Do you manage mm -hmm. to achieve what you want to achieve with all of the projects? Mm -hmm. That's a good question, right? So many people ask me, how do you manage your day? Like, you know, how are you organizing yourself? So at a very early stage, I realized, you know, I have like high energy. I want to do a lot of things. I'm a very ambitious guy. And maybe because of our frustration and also looking at my... Uh, the socioeconomic position of my community. Yeah, there's a lot of things I need to do. And, you know, you cannot let go and you cannot maybe <laughs> set priorities. But at the same time, there's a process called economies of scale. You focus on one thing and scale that up. And there's another process called economies of scope. Okay, so you can see patterns across different things you're doing. And, and in my work, I'm always trying to facilitate, empower, enable other people. I don't need to get all the credits for the things I'm doing. I mean, a lot of things I'm doing to get access to strategic resources, learn how the world works, and facilitate other people. And I mean, a lot of things I'm doing, I'm a pioneer from my family or from my community. So I don't need to necessarily succeed in all the things I'm doing. But at the same time, I have the audacity to try and dare to fail. Um, uh, but I also learned to use information systems, you know, to organize myself, getting things done, methodology. I have like of lots of, uh, I use uh, Notion, I use uh, lots of uh, online tools to organize myself. But of course, uh, I'm, I'm dependent on other people around me. I've um, managed to set up a nice social structures around me uh, so people can help me organize myself better and get things done. Uh, but I think you need to get also comfortable with being a little bit chaotic and, 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 and there's also some, <laughs> some patterns and chaos. <laughs> but in, in many ways, I'm trying to, you know, learn by doing. Learn. So, so also in my lectures, I'm also advising my students that you need to try, you know, through method of science is experiment. So a lot of things you need to learn to experiment and with experiment comes also failure. But from the same failures you learn. And I think uh, coming back to your question earlier, what's wrong with Europe? <laughs> What can be better in Europe? Yeah, we need to have a little bit more, you know, an attitude towards the accepting that failure is part of the process. Right, uh, so we need to experiment. We need to be fine with with, with did, trying did you, and failing. Did you always have this mindset? No, I think gradually you uh, you develop this. I think you, you being active in the innovation space, and 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 I lived in Eindhoven, so I'm among a lot of creative people in the design academy and design scene, and you realize like creative people they try a lot of different things and they fail and they keep trying and that's fine actually it's just <laughs> so you try a lot of different things and maybe nine out of ten will fail and and maybe it's exactly about this 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 one thing that does succeed right so so you need to also see failure as a part of the process and and a learning curve could you share with me one failure like one project that you you started or wanted to do but which didn't work at all Yeah, I never see it like that. So I'm like a stubborn guy, like this punching bag idea, like I have this for a long time. And uh, so, so, so I never want to see things as failure, right? So, so, so it's an ongoing process. It didn't work many times. I'm keep pushing, keep trying, doing from different angles, trying different things. Um, so I'm trying also maybe this is also a attribute of being an entrepreneur is also to be a little bit stubborn, you know. You, you need to make it work somehow. <laughs> 
so, so in many ways, uh, people tell me it's not going to work, like punching back from car tires. It's, it's so cheap, but it's not. It's meant for 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 developing countries. There's this process called tech for under for 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 the bottom of pyramid. So I'm trying different things, and, and somehow it's going to work. <laughs> Just to clarify on the punching bag, because you mentioned punching bag, recycled tires, IoT. Could you explain a bit like how it works? So, so, uh, so I I grew up doing boxing, and I realized, wow, how much it helped me. And I guess everybody wants to have a punching bag sometime in their life. You know? <laughs> uh, so I thought, why not make a punching bag from car tires? So you stack up car tires, you lock them in, put some sensor inside, and you punch. You generate data on punching power, on maybe your reaction time, or maybe you can create all kind of interactions, right? And this data goes to an app to your mobile phone. And now these days, even in Afghanistan, everybody has a mobile phone. Uh, so this app could be your coach, your trainer. And 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 I think, yeah, this I want to make accessible. Some I'm having a personal coach. Um, that's what I'm trying to do. So uh, yeah, kind of connected devices. So these punching bags could be connected with one other, so you can create little competitions. So a kid in Paris can uh, compete with a kid in Afghanistan. Um, so so I, that's uh, what I've been trying to do, and we had some some prototypes. And, and uh, I think it's, it could be fun. We're trying to make boxing gamified and, and safe and, and, and engaging. Um, it's a very challenging project, but this comes everything I studied or I'm interested in: circular economy, social, uh, social entrepreneurship, and sports for development. So let's see how it goes, <laughs> where yeah. it goes. Where are you at with Sensei, and what is your vision with Sensei? Yeah, yeah. So I try to. Um, so it's a, it's, it's a crazy project. Still, still, sometimes I think, wow, is this going to work or not? Well, we built a few prototypes, and we found very interesting partners. Among others, is a company called Aliapure. They uh, recycle car tires for all kind of applications. They recycle 47 million car tires for Michelin, Dunlop, Goodyear. Um, and they're very interested in what we're doing. So, so in a way, you know, experimenting, then you learn a lot and you find partners who can actually help you. And that's also uh, the point with startups. You, you need to find partners who can help you with product development and, and strategic partners who can take care of some part of the process. Our orientation is towards Olympic Games 2024. I want to connect with the games and, and, and also the, the city of Paris. They are also very interested in in using sports for improving social cohesion. As we can see in Paris, there's lots of problems in, in some of the suburbs. Um, and uh, yeah, I want to use the sports for development. Not, it's not necessarily uh, some technology you're developing. It, the technology is just a m mean, right, towards an end. It shouldn't be the end goal. I think uh, if you think in terms of failures, maybe sometimes I'm a little bit passionate, too much passionate about the technology rather than the solution or the problem you're trying to solve. Um, so, so, so I'm still not there yet, but I'm trying, to, trying very hard and finding right partners, and trying to make it work somehow. Cool. And you told me you tried to have this like hybrid business model where your paying customers will be more in, in big businesses, I mean businesses in general, because you still want to link this project with Afghanistan, right? So my whole idea was I just wanted to make a punching bag to connect with my family in Afghanistan. But you have to imagine, these are one of the poorest people in the world, right? So they could not pay for their services, right? But still, you want to make it work somehow because you're passionate about the mission or a social mission. 
And in this way, you need to find creative ways to finance this, this project. And that's why I think social entrepreneurship is so challenging, is because you need to find a way to... Uh, it's a conflict of uh, profit maximization, obviously, from one side, and other side, uh, the social mission you're trying to address, right? So um, what I decided, I realized, okay, it's going to be very hard to bring it in one go in Afghanistan. I want to uh, sell corporate vitality program to corporates and, uh, yeah, help these uh, corporate employees to get fit and, and, and feel good about themselves and, and getting fitter and less keen to burn out. And with this, you create financial streams to finance what I initially wanted, making some punching back <laughs> for my nephews in Afghanistan. Um, so, so that's also a learning curve for me. This has been also a learning experience to realize, okay, you need to be realistic. You need to be realistic about the, 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 the financing, about the money, about the cash flow. Um, so that's a, the, the challenge I think many uh, social entrepreneurs experience. You're so passionate about your mission that you forget about the economic realities, right? This technical solution we want to develop, it costs a lot of money. You need to develop the sensors, this material research, logistics, and, and the whole user experience. This is going to pay for this. So that's why out of necessity you realize, okay, I need to find an easier way to make money and to finance my project. Well, you need to be a little bit stubborn. <laughs> you need to be a little bit stubborn and keep pushing. And how can we help you on this project? Yeah, so now we are starting a little Kickstarter uh, campaign. Maybe you can spread the message. It's a nice video and explains the concept and how it works. And maybe people can pre-order. And we would like to partner with local NGOs uh, as a kind of a train-the-trainer concept. Maybe you can help me spread the message. Cool, yeah. We'll definitely share the link as well. And yeah, we are approaching the end, so I will ask my final two questions. Mm -hmm. How do you want, in general, in your life, people to know you and to remember you? Oh, wow, that's a very deep and uh, philosophical <laughs> question, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I think, um, yeah, I think a, a guy who wanted to make a difference, you know, sometimes someone who, who take risks and, and want to change status quo and, 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 and want to make a difference. That's, that's, uh, that's uh, I think I want to be remembered if I'm not there anymore. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, th I want to make a difference. I think uh, I was very privileged. I'm very, 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 very happy and I'm very passionate about things I do. Yeah, I think with my project, uh, I want to also you know, show that people from refugee descent or migrant descent can contribute to solving complex social, economic, and environmental issues. That's why it's also for me very important to break through with this. Uh, you can prove a lot of people wrong. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I want to make a difference. That's how I want to be remembered. One word which makes me think about you, or that I think when I, I hear you, is really like pioneer that you used. Yeah, really, because you said, yeah, you, you grew up without role model. But you are creating role models for others, and you are the first one in what you are doing, right, for your community. So hopefully, yeah, you, you can become the role models for those who don't I have hope so. I hope so. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> and yeah, in terms of words that makes me think of you, could you share with me three hashtags that can make people think about you? Uh, I think uh, I'm a freedom fighter. I'm a warrior. I see myself as a warrior. And uh, yeah, I want to be an innovator, you know. I want to innovator. Yeah, I think, uh, I hope so. <laughs> so. like innovative fighter and freedom fighter. And freedom, and yeah, wait. Innovative fighter, 
Innovative Freedom Fighter. Innovative Freedom Fighter. Yeah, oh, yeah. Sounds I cool. Think, uh, that's a very nice uh, slogan. Innovative Freedom Fighter. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Cool. Thank you so much, Yama. Uh, where can people like reach out to you or discover what you are doing? Yeah, maybe on my um, LinkedIn, and I will share it with you a special link. We with my f- partner Stefan. We are on. Uh, developing an Ask Me Anything platform for entrepreneurs to connect with one another and people can ask me, reach out to me, ask me anything. Cool. So if uh, you have any more questions for Yama, go on the link of the Ask Me Anything and you can continue speaking with Yama. Cool. Awesome. Thank you so much, Yama. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this intense conversation with Yama. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it with your friends to help amplify his message. In the next episode, you'll be meeting Shomi, a water, sanitation and hygiene activist from Bangladesh, who's been doing community service all her life and who decided to turn a massive pain into her life purpose. Here is an extract and see you next time. Four days after my mom passed away, I did the first wash talk at the storage workers community. So the storage workers are considered as one of the most isolated and the most neglected communities in Bangladesh. So it's a disgrace that we don't, as a society, we don't realize the importance of the work that they do, you know, and a lot of people consider them as untouchables or unclean. But I felt that these are the people who need to know about, you know, the importance of washing hands, you know, sanitation and hygiene and all that. They need to know it the most. So that's why I was really determined to do this project, even though I was told by my family members, you know, to take some time to grieve, to, you know, pray for my mom. But at that point, I was so driven by emotions. I felt like, yes, I can do this project later. I mean, you know, no one will tell me anything. But if I wait one more day, maybe somebody else will lose their mom. Because I, coming from an educated background, if I was so ignorant about all these What about those communities who are, you know, unaware and uneducated? What about them? So I felt like I really need to step up and take action and, you know, go out there and tell people that, look, I lost my mom four days ago because of this. So please take these things seriously so that you don't lose the people you love. So that's pretty much when it started. And ever since I continued my WASH activism.